Thank you, uh, Ben, and all the worship team. We just feel like you were in the presence of the Lord this morning. I appreciate them leading us to the presence of God, and I am I'm thankful that that we serve a God who's God even when life is tough. Aren't you thankful for that? Uh, I think as we were singing, it seems like kind of a theme in the music this morning and the worship was about um, worship, being able to worship God in the good times and in the bad times. And, and um, as I was just sitting there and standing there thinking as we were singing through the worship, it just kind of was wrestling in my mind is when is it easier to worship God? When, it's, when, when things are really good or when things are really bad? What, who says it's easier to worship God when things are really good? Right? Who who says when it's really bad? Okay, it's kind of I, I you you kind of your vote kind of was my mind said I I guess traditionally or just maybe first thought was well it's so much easier when things are good. But when you see the pattern in in the scripture and specifically in the Old Testament, when when things were going good for the nation of Israel, what did they have a tendency to stop doing? Worshiping God, and, and so I, I guess I don't have an answer. I'm just proposing a question for you this morning, all right? But it just made me think that what's, what's great about the God we serve is whether we are in good times or bad times, He's faithful, isn't He? He's faithful, and we can worship Him. I'm going to invite you to turn to 1 Kings, all right? So 1 Kings, we are going to go through a lot of information today. We're going to try to speed through it and get a few points of application uh, this morning, and uh, so I want to just say thank you. I have a good friend here from Kansas, Jack Dixon and his wife Rochelle. We're here from uh, Kansas. He's a pastor at uh, Shepherd's Grace Church in Ark City, where I was the last six years or so. A great friend, and uh, great to do ministry with him. But they had a grandbaby born this week, and so they were in the Metroplex, and so he came over to worship with us. And uh, again, if you're a guest with us, I want to say thank you. We, we, uh, we view you being here as an honor. We are honored that you chose to worship with us today because I am very confident, unless you live across the street, that you passed several churches on your way here this morning. And so we're glad that the Lord led you to this church. And we have been in a series uh, called Superheroes. It's been kind of alluded to. If you got a bulletin this morning, I would encourage you to get that bulletin out. And I'm just going to give you some quick highlights as a way of review this morning of where we've been. And, and I think it would help lead us where we're going. So the first week, uh, Mother's Day, we talked about Rahab. And remember, we were kind of, maybe some of you a little surprised that we were talking about Rahab, the harlot on Mother's Day. But this thought, this word, or this, this statement here on your bulletin says that her faith transform, transformed her mess, her mess, get it, into his message. And I'm thankful that even though when I mess up in life, that God can redeem that and God can use my story for his message, right? My mess for his message and her faith. What amazing faith that, that she had. And she ended up being, you know, one of the great, great, great grandfathers of Jesus. The second week we looked at Jochebed. The, uh, ben alluded to this this morning during our worship time as he talked about Jochebed as the mother of Moses. And, and she had to, it says here, believe God, follow God. And then it says the word repeat, right? And so what is that? Why did she have to repeat it? You remember... She had that huge step of faith in order to put uh, Moses in the bulrushes because she realized that God could protect her child way more than she could. And, and her protection was no longer available. I'm going to trust God. And she believed and she followed God. And she, she put Moses there. And, and then remember what God did. God did exceedingly abundantly more than she could even think or imagine because 
Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses, and then she pays Jochebed to raise Moses. God, God can, only God can do that, right? God can turn that crazy situation, and so she gets paid to nurse and raise her own little boy. And then what happens, though? Gets a little older, and it's time that she has to do what? Believe and follow God again. And she's going to have to give Moses back to Pharaoh's daughter to be raised. Don't you imagine that was difficult? And if she had not been willing to believe and follow God, then Moses would never have led the people out of the nation of Israel. Moses would have never penned the first five books of the Torah, right? So her faith, amazing hero. The third week, uh, here on your outline, this was Ehud, and, and uh, Pastor Nathan preached this message. Uh, this was Memorial Day weekend, and, and remember he, he, he offended some of you left-handed people out there, right? How many of you were offended by Nathan's description of left-handed people? Anybody? I know Preston was. Preston, left-handed people are strong, all right? I'm going to correct what Nathan, no, I'm just kidding. So we looked at, Nathan looked at the left-handed or hero. And when we learned in that lesson, really kind of as I listened to that message, the, the, the really underlying thought that he kind of ended with was that statement there on your bulletin. It says, your best ability is your availability. And so this thought that God doesn't necessarily call the equipped, he equips the called. That if God wants you to do something and God asks you to do something, then he's going to equip you to do what he's asked you to do. And so no one was going to pick Ehud, who was disabled, to deliver the people, but God did. And because God selected him, God equipped him. The, the fourth week, again, we already talked a little bit this morning about the three Jewish boys and they didn't compromise. They didn't conform to what the image of the world wanted them to be. And because they were willing to take a stand, and because they feared God more than they feel, feared Nebuchadnezzar, because they feared God more than the punishment, God was glorified. And the same goes for us. If we in our lives would not conform to the image of this world like Romans talks about, if we would be willing not to compromise, who's going to get glory in that? God is. Zacharias, Pastor Dave preached on Zacharias in three. Uh, I'm going to just make this one statement here. This is a little bit of a spoiler alert, all right? Zacharias, three, three statements that Pastor Dave mentioned. God knows, God cares, and God works. God knows, God cares, and God works. And I don't know if you noticed, but that was kind of the theme of all the music we sang this morning. That God knows, God cares. God works. Number six was Jairus. And, and I'll just say, man, last week was one of the highlights for me. I got to, to share the stage with my dad, Pastor Haley. And uh, I, I have been blessed. Um, I, I, I believe that he's the greatest pastor I've ever known. And can I get an amen? Yeah, yeah you can celebrate that. That's awesome. Uh, he has been my pastor. I still call him pastor. Officially, I guess I'm his pastor now. I don't know how scary that is for mom and dad, but that, that's, that's reality. And uh, he's officially been my pastor. I've been sitting under his ministry for 30, for 30 years. And 25 of those years, I, I wanted him to be my pastor. You can figure out the, the other math, right? So from where around 13 to 18, maybe not so much. But I got to share the stage with him, and it was, it was awesome. It was a highlight for me to get to do that, especially on Father's Day. And we were challenged to do three things, to lead our homes men, to lead our homes Physically, spiritually, and emotionally. 
And we're going to kind of keep that same theme going on as Ben even alluded to, that I'm not going to fear God more than I'm going to fear my circumstances. Do, do you believe that God is bigger than your circumstances, yes or no? Do you believe that God is bigger than your problems? Do you believe God is in control? And do you believe God is good? I mean, we could go home right now, right? It's not quite lunchtime yet. I mean, come on. All right. We're going to walk through a lot of scripture this morning. I set it up. I mean, yeah. No fault. How many of you have ever met someone named Jezebel? There's a few people named Jezebel. Anybody met someone named Ahab? Right? So Jezebel, if you look up in the Urban Dictionary, you're going to find her name. And if you're in the Urban Dictionary, I guess I don't really know what that says about you. But I'm going to tell you what her, in the Urban Dictionary, what her name signifies. A woman who is regarded as evil and scheming. An evil woman. Now, I'm not going to ask the few of you that raised your hands that have met a Jezebel whether that person fits or not. But that's why, how many of you when you were, when you first having children, you came up with a name and your spouse said, no way. I know somebody named that, right? How many of you had that conversation? Like you vetoed, no. Uh, I, I, I remember when, when we first found out we were going to have a child, of course at that time we didn't know uh, early on whether it was going to be a boy or a girl. And I had this, uh, my wife had this name she wanted to, to pick out. And I said, no, it's not going to happen. You guys know what I'm talking about? That's Jezebel, right? We're not going to name our children Jezebel. And Jezebel married the king of the northern kingdom, Ahab. And the reason she married him was her, her dad's not mentioned a lot in the scripture, but he's mentioned. Uh, his name is Bethel. And her dad um, was a wicked king. Her dad was kind of uh, one that was trying to conquer the known world at that time. Uh, the nation of Israel was in his way. And the nation of Israel had a, a strong military power because they worshipped God. And God would protect them. And since he could not conquer them militarily, he decided that he would make an alliance with them. That which was often what they did. And so he gave his daughter Jezebel to be married to King Ahab. Really with one plan in mind. And that plan was to turn the nation of Israel from serving the one and true God, the God of their father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to serving other gods. And if she could turn the country to turn false gods, then God's protection on the nation of Israel would no longer be there. And then, she could, then he could come in and conquer the nation. Are you, are you tracking with me? And that's where we kind of pick up on the story, right? As she has married to King Ahab. You get the plot. So 1 Kings number, uh, chapter 16, verse 29. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, became king over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria 22 years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did... So verse 30, this is uh, hopefully not going to be said of anybody in the room, but think of what this powerful statement, this one verse, and another verse here to follow that gives us an understanding of what Ahab's... What, what his reign was like. Verse 30, now Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord. More than all who were before him. That says a lot about his character, doesn't it? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 31, and it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat. 
that he took as his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, king of the Sidonians, and he went and served Bel and worshipped him. And so how quickly he's turned. This is why God told King Solomon, don't marry other people from other nations because they will turn your heart from me towards their false gods. And exactly what happened to King Ahab, verse 32. Then he set up an altar for Bel, for the temple of Bel, which he had built in Samaria. So in the nation of Israel, in Samaria, he builds a temple for Bel and worships Bel. It sounds like mom and, or excuse me, daughter and father's plan is coming together, right? So turning the nation away from God. Verse 33, and Ahab made a wooden image. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Again, it's kind of repeat of verse number 30, a wicked king. And so because he's wicked and because he's turning the heart of the people away from God, because he himself is worshiping false idols, worshiping the gods of Baal, God is going to judge him. So let's look in chapter 17, right? So beginning in chapter 17, verse 1, and Elijah the Tishbite, right? So in, in this story, there's, you know, three main characters, Elijah the prophet of God. There's Ahab the king, Jezebel the queen. Verse 1 again, let's read verse uh, 1 of chapter 17. Elijah the Tishbite and the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these two years, Except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here and turn eastward, hide by the book Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And so you get what's taking place here, right? He's gone to the king and he says, because you're wicked, God's going to judge you. And because God's going to judge you, it's not going to rain for three years. Can you imagine what, what Texas would look like if it didn't rain for three years? It would look like West Texas. So you, you don't have to imagine it, right? You, you don't have to imagine it. And so this is what takes place. He sends... Um, Elijah to the brook. He feeds him by the birds, which is, you know, only God can do that, right? In the next, in the rest part of this chapter, we're not going to take the time to read it in chapter 17. The brook dries up that we just read. Uh, God sends him uh, to a widow in Zarephath, and he goes there. She only has a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil, and she says, I'm going I'm to make it for my son, and we're going to die. That's all we have. Elijah says, well, make it for me first. I'm like, no, I don't think so, but she does. She trusts God. And then the oil and the flour continue. And then what happens? The son dies. Elijah then, through the power of God, brings him back to life. And then she finally acknowledges the God you serve is the one true God. That's the rest of chapter 17. So let's, let's pick up in chapter 18. So we're about three years into the drought. As God had told Elijah to tell Ahab, three years, drought, verse, eight, uh, verse 1 of chapter 18. And it came to pass after many days that the, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab, and there was a severe famine in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. Again, we get that statement here. There's a man who's in authority in Ahab's house, the king's house, and he fears 
the Lord. And, and so Elijah has been told by God, go back to Ahab and tell Ahab it's time for it to rain. Ahab comes across a man of authority named Obadiah. And he, he tells Obadiah, hey, go, go tell the king that I want to meet with him. And remember what we've heard about Obadiah. He fears the Lord. Later in this text, it tells us that he had, he had hidden a hundred men, a hundred prophets of God from Jezebel and King Ahab because why? He feared God more than he feared the authority in his life. And so he hides this man and Ahab says, uh, excuse me, Elijah says, go tell King Ahab I want to talk to him. And Obadiah says, what do you want me to die? That's what he says. You can read it. He's like, everyone... Who Do you not understand that Jezebel, King Ahab, have searched all over the country trying to kill you, and you want me to go tell them that you're going to come show up? And, and Obadiah's thinking was that Elijah was going to tell him, go tell the king I'm ready to see him. Then he's going to disappear, and then what was going to happen to Obadiah? The king was going to kill him. So that's where we pick up the story. I, I just gave you the cliff notes from verses 4 through 14. Verse number 15 1 Kings 18, verse 15. Then Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. Obadiah, trust me. God has told me to present myself to Ahab, and I'm going to do it. You can trust me. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Can you imagine what this meeting was going to be like? Ahab's been looking for Elijah for three years and wanting to kill Elijah because of the famine, because of the judgment of God upon them. Verse 17, then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? Does that strike you odd at all? That the king here is calling out Elijah, and what is he calling him? Troubler of Israel, Because it's Elijah's fault that it hasn't rained for three years, right? Is it Elijah's fault that it hasn't rained for three years? I mean, God has brought the judgment, but who's the judgment on? Ah, you're, you're following Ahab, right? It's amazing to me how when, for instance, Ahab here living in sin... How sin can completely deceive the way you think and what you think. We see that in our culture today, don't we? What, what seems like really common sense that's wrong is no longer common sense that's wrong, is it? And what seems like the truth to the world no longer seems like the truth, does it? And, and so we have Ahab, who's, who was a man of God, who's turned his heart away from God. He's worshipped the false gods. He's, fallen, he, he's done the exact, same, the exact opposite thing that the three Hebrew boys did. Instead of conforming to the world, they stood with God. But here Ahab has done the exact opposite. He's taken on the form of the world. He's worshipping the false gods, the false gods of Baal. And now he's blaming the prophet of God for the trouble of Israel. But I like what Elijah said. Verse, 15, verse 18. And Elijah answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandment of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all the Israel to Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's 
table. So there's about to be a showdown, right? How many of you like to see a good fight? Anybody like to see a good fight? How many of you don't want to admit it, but you like to see a good fight? All right, the rest of you. I just this. I got to ask this question. Verse 19 says Mount Carmel. Is it Carmel or caramel? All right. I'm not talking about the mountain. I just want to know about the syrup. Carmel or caramel? Who says caramel? Who says caramel? All right. Y'all can go back to the East Coast. No, I'm just kidding. So, I knew an Eagles fan raised his hand on that one. But anyways, I digress. So, Elijah's going to set up this showdown, right? One prophet of God versus 850 false prophets. 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah. Don't the odds seem like a little out of balance? 850 to one. But, but let's think about this for a moment. Are the odds forever in his favor? Elijah? Who says yes? Why, why is that? He serves God, doesn't he? And so he says to the king, I want everyone, all the nation of Israel, together on Mount Caramel. And I want you to get them all together. And we're going to have a showdown. And we're going to have a sacrifice. And, and they're going to call on their gods. And if their gods can bring down the fire, then we'll worship them. But if they can't, and my God can bring the fire and, and consume the sacrifice, then everyone will know that I serve the one and only true, all-powerful creator, God. So all the nation of Israel gathers there at the mountain. Everyone there is, is picking sides. And, and look at verse number 21. Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. You, you see, what it, it's similar to what Joshua said. At, at, choose whom you're going to serve. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And here Elijah, the one prophet versus the 850 prophets, stands before the nation of Israel who have all fallen into worshiping false idols and worshiping Baal. And he stands up before the people, before the showdown, right? Before the contestants take their sides and he says nation of Israel pick a side and I would say before us today as a church we all have that same decision to make but look what the, look what the verse says so he says choose sides and, and what's the reaction of the crowd What's the reaction of the crowd? The same action you just had, silence. Nothing. And in their silence, they said a lot, didn't they? You know what I see in our modern American churches today? Because it's easy to look at them and think, man, why did... God, God had done so much for them. God had provided so much for them. And how could they not easily just say, Elijah, we're with you. Elijah, we're with God. We choose God. We, we're we're going to stop uh, trying to play both sides. Because the reality is that's what they were doing. They were riding the fence. And I think in our modern American churches today, we're doing the exact same thing that the nation of Israel did. We want just enough God to feel good about ourselves. But God can't have control of that. And God can't have this aspect of our life. And we want to control that. And God... 
You're the Sunday morning. I'll go and worship you on Sunday morning, but the rest of the week, that's my time. We even fall in the trap of, God, I'm going to give you the 10%. That's a tithe, and I'm going to give that. But the rest of the money, that's mine. Stay away. And they, they still worshiped God, but they wanted God plus. They wanted God and their own abilities. They wanted God and their own hobbies. They wanted God and their sports. And they wanted God and, okay, so maybe we're talking about us now. You see how we're just, we are just like them? We, we want God, but we want God on our terms. And God wants everything or nothing. Remember what Revelation says? Because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I want to what? You make me want to throw up. That's what God says. Makes me sick. As Elijah stood before the people and he said, pick a side, and they, their silence said everything. It makes me wonder this morning that in our church today, if Elijah were to stand here and the same thing were about to happen, what would our response be? What would my response be? And the rest of the story as the 850 prophets spend the entire day crying out for their God to consume the sacrifice by fire and nothing happens. About halfway through the, di- the day, Elijah, who I really like because I think I would have done the same thing, Elijah just mocks them. How many of you, uh, you know that if you were in that se- setting, you would have mocked them just like Elijah did? Okay, you, you were the one that, that pestered your brother and sister all the time, right? How many of you were that guy, that girl? Okay, I remember my older sister, she used to get so mad about everything. And I was really good about being everything. Right? How many of you were, you would just pester your brother or sister to death? I mean, my, my sister, if you even looked into her room, Mom, she's in my room. And she knew what I would do. I'd be like, hey, hey, hey. I'm not in your room. How many of you would have do that same thing? Come on, confession, right? I don't know why I'm telling you that. But Elijah's like, maybe your God is sleeping. Maybe he's taking a nap. Maybe he's on a long journey and he can't hear you speak up. And I think Elijah finally gets tired and the scripture tells us in the rest of that chapter that at time of evening sacrifice, Elijah's had enough. He says, it's my turn. You've had all day. It's my turn. So they have the sacrifice there, and, and Elijah goes a, a step farther. It says there that, that they had four pots or cisterns, and they poured the water over the sacrifice. Not just once, not twice, but three times. So 12 buckets of water. On the sacrifice, the scripture says the water was overflowing. What, what do you think? So I heard this this week, and I'd never really heard this, or if I had, I forgot. That what was the most prized commodity at this particular time in the history of the nation right now? What do you suppose the most prized commodity was? 
water. For three years it has not rained. And he gets 12 cisterns or whatever, I don't know how big that was, enough water to overflow, to flood the sacrifice there. The most valuable thing that he could get at that moment, he put on the altar of God. And I think it's a picture of, of us. That if we really want God to do something in our lives, if we really want to see God show up in our lives, in the life of our church, maybe we're going to have to be willing to put what's most valuable on the sacrifice of God. God doesn't want our leftovers. He wants us. The most valuable thing we have, are we willing to release that to God? What was the most valuable thing that Jacobet had that she released to God? It was her son. What's the most valuable thing that God had to give to us? It was his son. What's the most valuable thing that we have to give to God? It's us. They pour out the water. And I can't even imagine what people were thinking. Let's look at his prayer. So Joshua's going to pray in verse, chapter 18, verse 15. That's not where we're supposed to be. Let me find it. Verse 36 of chapter 18. Verse 36, chapter 18, 1 Kings. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant. I have done all these things at your word. Obedience. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God, that you have turned their hearts back to you again. That the fire of the Lord fell, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood, the stones and the dust. It licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Isn't that amazing how quickly they change? So in verse 21, he asks them, choose a side. And what do they do? They say nothing. They're silenced. They see the mighty power of God and the fire of God consume the sacrifice. And immediately they fall and worship the creator God. In every, almost every instance of scripture, when people are faced with the power and the glory of God, what is their reaction? To fall on their face and worship. Verse 40. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal, do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and, and executed them there. Look at verse uh, number 1 of chapter 19. The few verses we didn't read, verses 41 through 46, the rain comes. God provides the rain, but verse 1, chapter 19, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Also, he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Can you imagine what she's thinking at this moment? Because remember the plan? The plan is to marry the king of Israel, to turn them from their God to the false gods of Baal. Therefore, God's protection would no longer be upon them. They could destroy and, and dad could have the land, right? And here, Ahab comes to report 
we lost. It's over. And she has a, a moment of decision here. She has a moment of decision to say, I'm going to believe the same God that destroyed all the prophets of the false God. And what does she choose to do? Look at verse number 2. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow at this time. Have you ever been confronted with your sin and chose not to repent of it? Not only does she choose not to repent, she, she chooses to double down on her sin. And what does she send message? Send a message to Elijah that if he's, if he's not dead tomorrow, so help me, I'm going to die. You know, every one of us in the room have the same choices to make, don't we? When we're confronted with sin, we have a choice to repent or to keep doing what we're going to do. When we're confronted with the reality that we can't get to heaven on our own and the only way we can get to God and the only way we can have eternal life is through Jesus Christ, then we all have to make the same choice, don't we? I'm either going to serve Jesus, I'm either going to surrender my life and give my life to Him and, and place my faith in Jesus for my salvation, for my eternity, for my home in heaven, then I'm going to live for Him or we're just going to double down and do what we're doing. Or, or maybe we have given our life to Jesus Christ and yet we, we're, we're just like in verse number 21 where we're kind of doing what we want to do and we, we give a little bit of God over here and a little bit of God is okay, but, but God, you can't have control of this. And, and when we're confronted with the reality that God wants everything, God wants the first place. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. If, if, and when we're confronted with the decision, am I going to completely surrender my life to God? Am I going to co completely go all in? God, it's not about what I want. It's about what you want. God, it's not about my ability. It's about my availability. God, it's about me surrendering my life today and to walk away and to repent of my sins and follow you only. And some of you today, I pray, will make that decision. And some of you today, I'm afraid are going to be just like Jezebel. And you're going to double down. And you're going to ignore God's direction in your life right now. Because I'm convinced that some of you this morning, God is calling to salvation and, and God is wanting you to surrender your life and to quit living for yourself and to surrender Him and to acknowledge the only way you can get to heaven is not through church attendance. It's not because you were baptized. It's not because you belong to a church. It's because you gave your life to Jesus Christ and you have not done that yet. And I would challenge you this morning, don't walk out of here this morning without giving your life to Jesus Christ. Don't walk out of this room this morning without dealing with the sin in your life. The story goes on, and we're not going to take time to read the rest of the story. We have a lot more to get to this morning. But I want to get to our points of application this morning. Because the rest of the story, God tells Elijah that he needs to go tell Ahab because of his sin, he's going to die. And exactly what God says is going to happen is exactly what happened. Read the rest of the story. 1 Kings 16 all the way through 2 Kings chapter 9. Read the rest of the story. And Ahab dies. And then God tells Elijah to tell 
uh, Jezebel that she's going to die and tells her exactly how she's going to die. And then Elijah is taken up into heaven. And then Elisha comes and replaces Elijah as the prophet. And then Jehu, the king, is anointed as king. And Jehu goes to Jezebel's palace and she's, she's pushed out the window by her own servants. And she dies exactly how God described that she would die. God is serious about sin. And God is serious about us re- turning our life over to him. So let's look at these points of application just for a moment this morning. Number one, remember I gave you the spoiler alert already. Pastor Dave and week number five. Number one, God knows. Whatever you're going through today, you may, you may be having a great week. Anybody had just have a, just an awesome week this week? I want to hear you. Anybody have a great week this week? All right, a few of you did. Anybody have a terrible week this week? Anybody? I had a pretty gr- great week this week until I went to junior camp and the kids were trying to destroy me and my life. Whether you had a great week, what did we just sing in, in the good times or in the bad? God knows what you're going through. When, when, the, when the famine hit and when the drought hit and God provided for Elijah with a bird, a bird brought him food, then a widow brought him food. Part of the story we didn't read, after this great victory, Elijah goes and pouts. Nobody likes me. I'm the only one left. And who came and consoled the great prophet? God. Because God not only knows, but number two, God cares. Do, Do you realize that this morning, that God cares personally about you? Sometimes you think nobody cares. And guess what? I'm, I'm here to tell you somebody cares. And that somebody is God. You know how much he cares for you personally? That he sent his son to die on the cross for your sins. If, if you ever for a moment doubt that God loves you, go to John chapter 3 verse 16. Because God proved his love. For God so loved the world, he did what? He gave his only son. And whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And and this morning, God cares so much whether you had a bad week or a good week. God God knows, and more importantly, God cares. I'm glad I serve a God that loves me. I'm glad I serve a God that knows. I'm glad I serve a God that cares. Aren't you glad that you can take everything to the Lord in prayer? Psalms 23 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear nothing. I will fear no evil. Why? What's the rest of the verse say? For thou art with me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, no matter good or bad, I will fear nothing. God is with me. Aren't you glad God is a God who cares and God who knows? The third one. Some of you already went back and looked at week five and you filled it out, right? God works. It's been on the screen for five minutes too. You probably should have got that. 
God works. I learned something about, I hate to admit it now, but almost 25 years ago, I remember sitting with about three other couples in uh, our little efficiency apartment in Springfield, Missouri. So we had an apartment in, in Springfield that uh, it, was, it was really convenient because from the bed I could reach the TV and the dining room table and the microwave. It was awesome. You guys ever lived in one of those, right? And uh, we had three other couples and we, we went through a, a Bible study together called Experiencing God. How many of you have been through that study? If you have, I'd say look it up and do it again. If you haven't, look it up, Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. One of the, the seven realities that are in that teaching is this last point. God is always at work around you. And he wants to involve us in what he is doing. That should blow your mind this morning. God is at work. God wants to do great things, and he wants you to be a part of it. Can you, can you believe that? I mean, look around the room. Can you believe that God would want to use us? That's supposed to be funny. When I think about my abilities, you know who has to get the glory for what God does in my life? Definitely God. I can remember my youth pastor trying to get me to speak to, you know, the 15 kids in the youth department. Uh-uh, it ain't happening. I can remember in college trying to get up and speak in, in our preaching workshop class, and all I did was cry the whole time because I was so nervous and I hated my life. And the professor said, I love your tender heart for Jesus. A, and I'm like, yeah. So if, if ever in doubt, just cry and feel like your, your greatest, everyone in the room this morning, your greatest ability is just to make yourself available to God. Because he, he, he knows who you are, He cares for you, and He wants to use you. The Creator, the, the Scripture says, He knitted us together in our mother's womb. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows your name. Peter tells us, cast all our cares upon Him. Why? Because He cares for us. I want to close with this verse. Psalms 103, 13 through 14. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Listen, for he himself knows our frame. He is mindful. We are but dust. God knows what he's working with. And God wants to do something great in you and through you and for you. And you simply have to say, God, here I am. In the good and the bad, I'm going to trust you. I want to ask Ben to come up for a moment. And, and as he makes his way, I want to I just read for you for a moment the lyrics of the song that we're about to sing. And this morning, maybe, maybe God has, has dealt in your, with you about surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. And if you'd like to know how to do that, I'm going to be standing right down here this morning. Come, come and talk to me. I would love 
to share with you from Scripture how you can give your life to Christ. There will be other men and women up here. And if, if I'm busy and if you'd like to talk to one of them, just come talk to one of them and they can share with you how to give your life to Christ. Maybe today, this week has just been really rough and it's a really tough week and you're just like, I don't think God knows. I don't think God cares. I don't think God's working in my life at all. And I, and I want you to know God does care and God does know and, and God is working. And he's working for your good and for his glory. And, and so this morning, in a moment, we're going to stand. If you want to come and just pray and seek God and say, God, I, I don't, it really, in my life right now, God, it doesn't feel like you know. It doesn't feel like you care. It doesn't feel like you're working at all. And, and I love the Psalms because many times in the Psalms, David, it's just so personal. David cries out and says, God, where are you? God, I don't hear you. God, I don't see you. God, you've messed up. God, you don't care. And by the end of the Psalm, it's always David saying, God, you're awesome. You're worthy of my praise. And even in my darkest days, you walk with me. So in a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to worship. And I just want you to, to, to feel free to come forward, to stand where you're at, to sit where you're at, and just worship. But listen to the words of this song. Come out of sadness from wherever you've been. Come brokenhearted, let rescue begin. Come find your mercy, O sinner, come nil. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. Aren't you thankful for that? The chorus, lay down your burdens, lay down your shame. All who are broken, lift up your face. O wanderer, come home, you're not too far. So lay down your hurt, lay down your heart, come as you are. No matter where you are in life this morning, God wants to meet you right where you're at. Would you bow your heads in prayer for a moment? Anybody this morning say, John, I've never given my life to Jesus Christ, but I want to do that today. I feel like God has called me that today. Would you just put your hand up for a moment? Just put your hand up, and I won't, I won't, I'm not going to call you. I just want to pray for you. Anybody like that this morning? Just put your hand up right now. Just raise it up high so I can see it. Give me a second to look around as I can spot you so I can spot you. Anyone else? Just look up. Just raise your hand up for a moment. And who would say this morning, John, if I'm going to be real honest today, Sometimes it feels like God doesn't know and that God doesn't care, and that he's not working. If that's you this morning and you would like me to pray for you, would you just put your hand up this morning where you're at? Just put your hand up, several of you. Just put it up. Hold it up for a moment. Thank you. And who would say this morning, you know, John, sometimes it feels like verse 21 in my life that I'm busy doing a lot of other things and God's not the number one priority in my life if that's you this morning you, you want to admit it today you won't sit in silence today would you put your hand up for a moment this morning so I can pray for you just put your hand up a lot of things have crept in my life that have taken the priority of God just put your hand up there's several of us quite a few of us this morning 
In a moment, we're going to stand. You can put your hands down. In a moment, we're going to stand. I'm going to ask you, if whatever it is God's dealing with you about, maybe you just want to come forward and pray. And, and maybe, maybe you're in a great season of life and you just want to praise God and thank God for all he's doing, that, that you do know he cares and that you do know that he's working and you do know that he loves you. Come celebrate that this morning. God, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you that in the good and the bad, that we can follow you because you are trustworthy, you are faithful. God, you know, you care, you work. Lord, I pray for those this morning that, that need to make a decision, that you would give them the courage and the boldness to walk forward this morning and either talk to someone or just come and pray. Lord, we just want to say thank you that you know, that you care, that you work. Would you stand with me this morning as we worship together this morning? Again, if God has spoken to you, just worship this morning together as a, as a church.